Part of the reason for the kids going at this point is um, some of the content of what Carl has asked us to read is appropriate for people who are remaining. Um, Carl is preaching from kind of 11 through to 15 in Leviticus. It's a big slab of scripture. There's lots of detail. So he's been kind to us in trying to select a few highlights to give us a feel for the substance of it so that when he preaches, hopefully he can um, some, give us some understanding of how you and I are to come to a portion of the scriptures that is very different to what we are used to culturally. So I'm going to read, uh, starting at chapter 11, verse 46. The rest of the chapter has been talking about distinctions between animals uh, and establishing them as clean or unclean. 11.46 These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves in the water and every creature that moves about on the ground. You must distinguish between the, clean, uh, the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. Down to 13 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a bright spot on his skin that may become an infectious skin disease, he must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on his skin and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is an infectious skin disease. When the priest examines him, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. And then down to verse 45. The person with with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. If any clothing is contaminated with mildew, any woolen or linen clothing, any woven or knitted material of linen or wool, any leather or anything made of leather, and if the contamination in the clothing or leather or woven or knitted material or any leather article is greenish or reddish, It's a spreading mildew and must be shown to the priest. The priest is to examine the mildew and isolate the affected article for seven days. And on the seventh day he is to examine it and if the mildew is spread in the clothing or the woven or knitted material or the leather, whatever its use, (coughs) it is a destructive mildew, the article is unclean. 
He must burn up the clothing or the woven or knitted material of wool or linen or any leather article that has the contamination in it because the mildew is destructive. The article must be burned up. And then over to chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any man has a bodily discharge, the discharge is unclean. Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how his discharge will bring about uncleanness. Any bed that the man with a discharge lies on will be unclean and anything he sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches his bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Whoever sits on anything that the man with a discharge sat on must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Whoever touches the man who has a discharge must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. If the man with a discharge spits on someone who is clean, that person must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Everything the man sits on when riding will be unclean and whoever touches any of the things that were under him will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up those things must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Anyone that the man with a discharge touches without rinsing his hands with water must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. A clay pot that the man touches must be broken and any wooden article is to be rinsed with water. When a man is cleansed from his discharge, he is to count off seven days for his ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with fresh water and he will be clean. On the eighth day he must take two doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance to the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way he will make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. When a man has an omission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and he will be unclean till evening. Any clothing or leather that has semen on it must be washed with water and it will be unclean till evening. When a man lies with a woman and there is an omission of semen, both must bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anyone she lies on during her period will be unclean and anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Whoever touches anything she sits on must wash his clothes and bathe with water and he will be unclean till evening. Whether it's the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it he will be unclean till evening. If a man lies with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, 
or has a discharge that continues beyond her period. She will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. In this way he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean. So they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place which is among them. These are the regulations for a man with a discharge, for anyone made unclean by an omission of semen, for a woman in her monthly period, for a man or a woman with a discharge, and for a man who lies with a woman who is, un- who is ceremonially unclean. Let's pray. I was encouraged just to think, that God speaks to every aspect of our life. Passages like that kind of jolt me, that God isn't off up there in the floaty stuff, he's actually very much in the earthiness of life on this, in this world. So let's pray that uh, Carl can express some of what um, is God's wisdom here. Lord God, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you've given us the scriptures in a language that we can understand And I pray that this morning you will speak your wisdom from this part of the scriptures that we may have never really grappled with or understood. We pray that you'll speak through Carl and as we ask that for ourselves, we pray also that you'll speak through the Sunday school teachers and through each of us as we discuss and as we talk that you will um, make your truth clear to us. Amen. Is it me or is it, uh, is it just a little awkward this morning? Uh, maybe a little bit warm uh, in here? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know what you thought when we read through that. I, I, I'm racking my brain, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard that passage read in its entirety in church before. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of maybe a little bit offensive uh, and if that's the case, then that's kind of the point. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll uh, come to grips with it as we go through. I guess at one level uh, I dislike this passage, I don't know what you think about it, uh, but at one level, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of gross, isn't it? Um, especially the last chapter, but all the chapters too, I mean, skin diseases, all kinds of things going on. Uh, but at another level, at the same time as I, as I don't like this chapter, I love it, uh, especially chapter 15. Uh, you're going to think I'm a little bit crazy, but chapter 15 is actually my favourite chapter in all of Leviticus. Uh, and in fact, the whole time that we've been doing this series on Leviticus, I've been waiting to get here. In many ways, it's almost my favourite chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, 
And that's not because it's supremely awkward, but because I don't think there's any other chapter in the entire Bible which gives such a vivid and clear picture of the problem which separates us from God as this chapter. Nothing in all the Bible is as graphic, as offensive and as true to the, at identifying the, the, the problem that we have as uh, these chapters in Leviticus and, and in particular chapter 15. So uh, I want to go through uh, this morning and just kind of draw together some of the strands, I guess, from this whole, the, all these regulations about cleanness uh, and uncleanness. And the first one that we come along, uh, uh, that we come up against, are the regulations about clean and unclean foods uh, in chapter 11. Uh, and in those laws, back in chapter 11, God was sort of telling the people what they could eat uh, and what they couldn't eat, uh, and uh, and also. Uh, what animals, if they came into contact with their dead bodies, would make them unclean. So back in chapter 11, God says that they could eat uh, land animals that had a completely split hoof and, uh, and chewed the cud. Uh, they could eat sea creatures that had both scales uh, and fins. There were birds that they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat, for instance, eagles, uh, vultures. There were various kinds of owls that they couldn't eat. Uh, there were insects that they couldn't eat but they could eat some, so they could eat grasshoppers and things which kind of had wings and, and, and legs for jumping. And the list goes on and there's quite a lot of detail there. Now various people have suggested a whole lot of different reasons why uh, God allowed people to eat some animals and not other animals. Some people say that it's a matter of hygiene, uh, so unclean animals maybe were more likely to give people diseases. Uh, some people say that it's a matter of, of avoiding animals used in other religions. So other religions use certain animals in sacrifices and they were to avoid those. But that kind of doesn't really work because a lot of the animals that other nations used are the same as the ones that Israel used for their sacrifices. Uh, some people suggest that it's a matter of kind of wholeness or perfection. So it's about animals fitting within their kind of class, if you like. Uh, so if you think of a, a winged creature which has four legs... They weren't allowed to eat that. Uh, it's kind of a halfway house. It doesn't know whether it's coming or going. It's got wings and it's got legs for walking on the ground and, and they were to stay away for, from those animals which kind of broke the, kind of, the rules, if you like, for their, for their class. And that was a picture, if you like, of, of animals you know, breaking the rules of God's creation. To be honest, I have to admit, I don't know which one of those is, uh, is the best explanation and... Uh, and in some ways it doesn't really matter. Uh, I mean, it's good to keep thinking about it and I think there is an answer, uh, but you know, we don't have to understand all the Bible all at once. And in some ways thinking so much about why the divisions existed m- might make us miss the deeper point. You see, there's quite a clear point that God is making here and I think it's this, at the, at the level of the symbolism anyway, God is saying the world is is made up of things which he views as clean and unclean. Unclean things are to be avoided. Coming into contact with unclean things means that people can't approach God. So the world is is divided between what's clean and unclean. I think uh, what that means at the deeper level is is pretty easy for us to get a hold of. I think this whole language of cleanness and, and uncleanness is actually is actually pretty standard for us. We use uh, language even today. We talk about uh, things. We talk about moral filth, you know. Or we or we talk about pure and impure motives. You know, you could also sort of say clean and unclean motives. 
You see, the picture here is, 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 not of, is not of animals which are good and animals which are bad, but it's a deeper picture of the fact that the world is made up of things which are pure and impure in God's eyes. And coming into contact with impure and unclean things and, and, and unholy things means that we become corrupted and we can't approach God. When God created the world, he created it good, didn't he? And when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought into the world uh, all kinds of bad stuff. And the world that we live in now is a, is a mixed place, isn't it? It's mixed with purity and impurity. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to work that out. Uh, you know, at some, uh, in some places that's really clear. God's word, the Bible, is a pure thing in a mixed world. Uh, Jesus, when he came into the world, was, he was a pure thing, wasn't he? in a mixed world. The Nazis were an impure and unclean thing in a mixed world. The world that we live in is mixed and God was teaching the people that they need to be able to distinguish between what's pure and what's impure. He was teaching them that if they wanted to enjoy his presence they had to stay as far away from impurity as they could. You see that kind of worked out in the history of Israel, don't you, as well, because when... uh, when God commanded the people to enter the promised land, uh, he said, you need to destroy everything in there which is, which is impure, which is, which is unholy. They needed to cleanse the land. That might sound a bit harsh. They had to kill huge numbers of, of men, women and children. But it's a picture of God's very real hatred of sin. That's uh, the same reason as well that uh, in the ultimate salvation that Jesus is going to bring when he returns. Uh, The ultimate salvation is is going to bring not only holiness, but it's going to bring separation from everything which is impure and and unholy. Uh, In Revelation 21, God says about the new heavens and the new earth, uh, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. The the world or the new heavens and the new earth are going to be uh, separated from everything that is impure uh, and unrighteous. So that's really the first message, I think, that we uh, discover in these chapters uh, about cleanness and uncleanness. It's a very simple point, isn't it? That the world is full of things which are pure and impure and we are to stay away from the things which are impure. But why is uncleanness impurity? Why are those things such a problem? Why was it so important that they stay away from them? I think the answer to that question can be seen in, in, in the middle chapters, in the regulations about the skin diseases and even in the regulations about the food as well. You see, uncleanness is described a bit like a contagion. It's like an infectious disease. Uh, uncleanness could be almost contracted from an animal just by coming into contact with a dead body or, or, or by eating it or by coming into contact with someone who had uh, a, a skin disease. These... Uh, this uncleanness could spread. You see that uh, in, the, in the beginning of chapter 13. Uh, in verse 7, uh, the issue there is, is a rash which is spreading over a person's body. Uh, but if the rash, it says in verse 7 of, of chapter 13, if the rash does, does spread in his skin after he has shown himself to the priest to be pronounced clean, he must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine him and if the rash has spread in the skin, he shall 
uh, pronounce him unclean. So if the, if the rash spreads, then, he, then he's unclean. There's another case in verse 9 uh, and following where it, where it talks about a person who has a, sort of a white swelling in the skin. Uh, he's immediately declared unclean because he has this swelling in the skin. But if, if it spreads over his entire body so that it can't spread anymore, then he can be declared clean, right? So it's, it's stopped spreading over his body. So the issue is, is not so much, don't think so much it's about just spreading one person to another, but it's just about spreading in general. Uh, it's the same with the mildew. If the mildew is on the cloth and it spreads, then, then it, it has to be uh, declared unclean. So this whole sort of point, if you like, uh, of, of this uncleanness legislation is to show that it's dangerous because of the spreading nature of it. It's not just a matter of hygiene, but it's a deeper picture, isn't it? As we've seen all the way through Leviticus, it's a deeper picture and it's a picture of the contagious, infectious, spreading nature of sin. It's not that having, having a, a skin condition was sinful, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that people who, who, uh, who had dandruff were, uh, had committed some hideous sin and God was punishing them for that. It wasn't that a person who had a skin condition was more sinful than anyone else. It's the same with the, 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 the discharges that we read about later, uh, earlier on. Uh, it's not as though those things are sinful of themselves. And not at all. These things are pictures. They're pictures of the general human situation. And in particular here it's a picture of the fact that sin is like an infectious spreading disease. You come into contact with it and it infects you. It spreads and it takes over. That's why it was so important for the Israelites to distinguish between what was clean and unclean. Because if they came in contact with, uh, with unholiness, God said, was saying to them, it would drag them into unholiness and uncleanness as well. And that too is the very often repeated picture of the Old Testament, isn't it? that God said to the people, look, you've got to stay away from these things because it will drag you down. And what did they do? They didn't stay away from them. And what happened? It dragged them down. It dragged them down into all kinds of things, idolatry and, and going after other gods and everything that you can possibly imagine. God wanted to teach these people that they needed not only to distinguish between uncleanness and cleanness, but they needed to do that in order to stay away from unholiness and impurity. Look, we know from experience, don't we, that, that bad company corrupts good character. Parents stress, don't they, about the kind of kids uh, that their children hang around with. You know, uh, if, if a child starts hanging around with, with sort of bad company, they worry about it. Why is that? It's because in the end... Some of the attitudes, some of the behaviour can rub off. If you spend loads of time around people uh, who talk about nothing else but the latest, the latest gadget, the latest television, you know, the latest uh, extension to their house, you're going to be, end up sort of absorbing that kind of attitude as well and that's going to become your chief concern. If you spend uh, all your time around people uh, who are deeply critical and, and, and judgmental and uh, and complain about everything, then sooner or later you're going to end up absorbing that. You'll become sharply critical and bitter and divisive as well. 
And isn't it true that once those things are in, they're hard to get out? Scenes from movies that you can't forget, conversations that you've been part of that go in easily and don't come out easily. What does that mean then? Does that mean that we're supposed to avoid anyone who's kind of slightly sinful? And if that's true, how does that fit with Jesus who ate with people that everyone else called sinners? How do those things fit together? I think often it's more about avoiding bad circumstances, isn't it, than about avoiding people. I had a friend uh, and he used to play football. He was uh, part of a footy team in Geelong uh, and he never used to go to... The, the beer nights, you know, because he just knew that everyone was going to get smashed. He certainly never went to the nights when they got a stripper into the club. But he played footy with those guys and he was able to help one, one person uh, as, as their marriage failed. He was able to show kindness and, and, and support. He used great wisdom, I think, in trying to work out how to hold those two things together how to hold the danger of sin and the love of Christ together. And that's really what we have to do. There's no easy answers. There's no do this and don't do that. It takes immense wisdom and prayer in every circumstance. But I think our caution too about the danger of sin has to be moderated by what the last chapter that we're looking at this morning has to say. We've seen that the world is divided into what's clean and unclean and we've seen that sin is is like an infectious disease that ought to be avoided. But both those realities have to be tempered by the disturbing truth which is pressed home in this last chapter, this most disturbing of all chapters, chapter 15. Chapter 15 is all about uh, discharges from the body. Uh, It ties in with chapter 12 as well, uh, which we read, uh, which talked about uncleanness after a woman uh, gives birth. In both chapters, the kind of the central issue is uncleanness coming out from a person. It's all about something from the inside coming out. It might be a man with an unnamed discharge in the first few verses. Uh, It might be a man with an emission of semen. It might be a woman with a period Uh, It might be an unclean person spitting. But here is the shocking and deeply troubling reality which comes uh, into focus in this chapter. It is that even if a person kept themselves away from the wrong animals, right? if they didn't eat the unclean animals, even if they somehow managed to avoid uh, the skin diseases that were going around, even if they did all that, there was no way for them to still avoid uncleanness because there was still this unstoppable flow of uncleanness coming from within them. They couldn't escape it. There was this unstoppable oozing filth coming from every single person. It affected men as much as women. There was no tap which they could use to turn it off. It was, if you like, part of their nature. It was bound up with who they were. It was bound up with being a human. 
And therein lies the deeply shocking reality, I think, of Leviticus chapter 15. The problem here is not unpleasant discharges from bodies. That's just the picture. The problem is the stinking, vile, revolting ooze of rebellion and hatred toward God. That's the problem. That comes out of people's hearts as almost an unstoppable force and which is bound up with our very nature. You can't turn it off. It's a constant stream of filth pouring out of our hearts. You know, in some ways, as I, as I prepared for this morning, I, uh, I thought to myself, maybe I should just skip this, you know, maybe I should just skip over Leviticus uh, 15 because maybe it's a bit inappropriate, maybe it's a bit too confronting. But at the end of the day, I couldn't get away from the fact that this is a very powerful and penetrating assessment of our condition outside of Christ. These things don't make people ritually unclean anymore. You know, if you experience one of these discharges, you don't have to go through the washing rituals that they had to go go through. But they all still point to the same fundamental reality, don't they? That our hearts are like giant toilets pumping out sewerage. It's easy for us to reduce a holiness and sin to sort of just doing and not doing. But the laws about cleansing show us that it's, it's more than that, right? It's, it's, not, it's not about the sin that you did yesterday or the sin that you did the day before that. It's about this unstoppable flow of effluent that pours out of our hearts. Jesus gets to the heart of it uh, and to the heart of these cleansing laws in Mark's Gospel when he's speaking to a crowd and he says to them, you know, don't think that eating anything is going to make you unclean. That's just stupid. How silly is that to think that just by eating certain foods you'll make yourself unclean because when you eat food it just goes into your stomach and it comes out again. It's not food which makes you unclean. The problem is, Jesus says, it's the heart. And more particularly, the problem is that out of your hearts come all things like evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. That's the problem. We've seen that the world is divided into these groups of clean and unclean. We've seen that that uncleanness reminds us of the contagious nature of sin. And now we've seen that it's an unescapable, unavoidable reality bound up with our own hearts. God was saying to these people, don't think that you can just hermetically seal yourself off from everybody else in the world and that if you do that, you'll kind of be able to avoid sin and make yourself holy. It doesn't work like that. That's what the monks and the monastics thought. They thought that they could kind of go off and, and sort of live in a cave and, or, or, or live on top of a pole. There was one guy who lived on a pole for some ridiculous number of days to try and escape from people, escape from sin. But it doesn't work. Even when people like, like 
Martin Luther uh, did, you know, people realised that the problem was fundamentally their hearts. They tried to deal with it by whipping themselves and wearing camel's hair undies and, and, and all kinds of things like that, you know, but it didn't change them. It didn't change them because the fundamental issue is the heart. The problem is that our hearts are like toilets and they spew out filth all day long and every boil, every birth, Every period, every emission of semen, every bit of oozing which comes out of our body is a reminder of that fundamental human predicament. That our hearts overflow with vile rebellion against God. Imagine then what it must have been like when Jesus said these words to the crowd in the Gospel of John. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. All these words that he spoke to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is, if you believe in Jesus, instead of your heart being like a toilet pumping out sewage like there's no tomorrow, Jesus says, if you believe in me, your heart will be like a fountain of clean water. Imagine the relief in the hearts and minds of those people who heard that, that all they had to do was believe in Jesus and their heart would be like a fountain of clean water, washing away all the muck and all the filth and all the rubbish of hatred and rebellion against God. We don't have time this morning to go into all the details of how that works and how Jesus does that. In some ways, that's just icing on the cake understanding all that. What each of us has to realise though is our fundamental predicament, the nature of our hearts and to realise that Jesus, by believing in him, can transform our hearts from ugly and vile to like a bubbling brook and a flowing stream. We need to come to God and say, God, I accept your judgement about the condition of my heart. I accept what I'm like. I need you to cleanse me and wash me from my sin through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've done that before. Uh, I don't know if you feel acutely the problem of your heart as oozing filth. If you do, then let me encourage you to, to pray to God and to ask him to transform your heart, to make it that, that flowing stream that he promises. If you've done it before and you're not sure where you stand, then by all means pray again and, and, and keep knocking and asking and seeking until, until you feel the assurance of that promise of Christ. And if you have and if you, if you, know, you know Christ and you trust in him, uh, then keep praying that God will continue to work out this 
this promise in Christ of washing our hearts clean from all the rubbish and all the filth, that more and more he'd replace it with a, with a stream, a clean, pure stream of love and devotion to, to God and Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, spend some time in prayer and uh, we'll just have a moment at the beginning of silent prayer where we can pray to God and, and uh, I guess uh, pray about some of those things we've thought about uh, and then I'll close in a moment. So let's, let's bow and pray silently in our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this devastating and penetrating assessment of where we stand outside of Christ. Father, it's offensive that you would call unclean things that are just part of our very nature. But Lord, in that we know that you're showing us how deeply offensive our hearts are to you. Father, we pray that you'd enable each one of us to grasp that reality. But Lord, more than that, we pray that each one of us would grasp the hope of the gospel and the promise of a flowing stream welling up within our hearts, welling up to eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. Father, please help us to trust in him, to seek him, to believe in him. We ask it in his name. Amen.